Here are two phrases you've probably heard before. Beauty is only skin deep, and beauty is more than skin deep. Same phrase, surprisingly different meanings. It raises the question, what is beauty? Where is it found? Is it physical, personal, perceived, contrived? Today, we're going to ask about all of that. My name is Elsie Mort, and you're listening to the first ever episode of What is a Woman, where we'll explore the beautiful, diverse, and challenging experiences that women share. In each episode, we'll focus on a new topic and ask a different question. Like, what is wellness? What does it mean to be an entrepreneur? What is government? What is family? We'll have real conversations with real women. As story by story, we look to understand these big questions. In this episode, we're asking, what is beauty? Is it bikini models and tabloids? Part of our identity, an excuse to sell a product? Is it art? Can we embrace it while critiquing it? There's so many ways to look at this, but there's one thing that's certain. Beauty is more than skin deep. What's the weirdest beauty advice? The weirdest beauty advice. The weirdest beauty advice you've ever received. me to put mayonnaise and rub it on my face and put peanut butter over it that it would make like a face mask. Grow your hair back out for your partner so you can be more beautiful for him. Uh, big sunglasses look weird on your face. Oh my gosh, to look more like a lady. Really? Yes. Did, who said that to you? No, that would be my mother. Beauty is fluid. It's faceted like a gemstone with each shiny surface reflecting a different angle. It's not one-dimensional. So why use only one perspective? This episode contains three facets, spoken by the voices of three women, each with a unique perspective on beauty. We're covering a pretty wide gamut in this episode, So just as a quick heads up, there is a little bit of profanity. And so now, without further ado, let's get into the world of beauty. This episode of What is a Woman is sponsored by Untold Content, a 100% woman-owned and operated writing consultancy that believes robust research and creative storytelling can inspire people to enlighten one another through shared knowledge. With a commitment to public intellectualism, Untold calls upon the power of words to help experts translate their insights. From research reports and journal articles to grant proposals and content strategies, Untold creates research-based content for thought-leading organizations. Learn more about Untold's research writing, technical writing, grant writing, and copywriting services at untoldcontent.com. The future is untold. Let's write it together.
First up, let's take a look at what beauty means in the context of art, expression, and identity with spoken word artist, poet, and activist Coco Flo. She's been kind enough to help shed some light on the many intersections found in beauty that she also focuses on in her work. Crossovers of personal identity and public perception, vulnerability and confidence, race and gender, and more. So could you tell us a little bit about who Coco Flow really is and what you do? So I am a spoken word artist, perform um, here in Cincinnati and a couple of other cities. Women empowerment is my yeah. like thing. I'm always trying to make sure that, because I know there's plenty of women out there who've been through some of the same things I've been through. And I feel like when I'm in my cocoa flow mode, I'm able to give not only myself a voice, but them a voice. So my mind is always in cocoa flow, girl power mode. Yeah. Is that almost like a separate mode or an artistic voice that you have? Or is cocoa flow integral to who you are also? I would say it's integral to who I am as a person. So I always say I have this like Peter Parker, Spider-Man thing going on. <laughs> like I'm Coco Flo, awesome but I'm Jasmine. But they're so intertwined that it's hard to find the divide between mm-hmm. who who you are in the moment. It's just all in a name, you know, so it's really all intertwined. How did you kind of find that voice? How did you get inspired to do this? I've always been a writer, so I've always mm-hmm. written, but I was never really like performance heavy. Really crazy. When I moved to Cincinnati, I had this goal. I was like, I'm going to go to a poetry show. Yeah. I'm going to work on poetry, like all this stuff. And um, the whole first year I was here, I did absolutely nothing because I was terrified of people. Like this was New York City to me because <laughs> I'm from a small town. So some people invited me out to an open mic and I fell in love. I was like, whoa. This is powerful. So then I did this little soul search thing mm-hmm. that I that I do like, huh, Jasmine. So Aww. once I had that moment, it was like, okay, now you have to do it. And it still took me a while. I still just sat back and watched for a long time. And then eventually, after the first time I did it, I was hooked to that high feeling. It's like a natural high. So ever since then, it's been like rolling. <laughs> do you think there's a similarity between finding your voice as an artist and finding your identity in terms of your personal beauty aesthetic or your your expressiveness? I definitely think there's like a correlation between those two. Um, I think that as you grow as a person, that you're tapping into not only that creativity or that niche that you have, um, but you're also finding out who you are and your identity as a person. Mm-hmm. So much of who you are as a person is shaped by the people around you. Yeah. And it's when you get out of that comfort zone of those people that you really find out who you are. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was like this correlation of here I am coming from this small city, move into Cincinnati, away from everything I know. I don't have any family here or anything. Moving away from everything I know, and then I really found myself. And in finding myself, I found my poetic voice. That's actually something I really think is interesting in your work, is that when you speak and in your words, there's a lot of you and what you found within yourself. But at the same time, you're talking about things in the world and cultural issues uh, as a whole. What is that feedback loop between the outside forces and pressures and how we find ourselves? How are we able to have that conversation? Um, so first, as an artist, I always say art imitates life Yeah. Um, because it really does. And so just as as being a young woman and then growing into my womanhood and being able to See, all that society tells you that beauty is and then picking that apart and finding your own beauty Mm -hmm. and your own voice of who you are and what makes you, you know, you, that whole process of 
constantly getting in all this negative energy and then taking that in and refining that and how that fits you mm-hmm. being your own person and not conforming to those things. Yeah. You seem to sometimes have almost a back and forth conversation with society as a whole and your own perspective. So a lot of the major themes you address have to do with social trends and perceptions of different people, different body types, and how we're perceived. I'm going to play for our listeners a little clip from one of your tracks on your EP that was released in April of 2017. You can check it out on iTunes in which you call out this trend that we've been seeing. It's happened forever, but it's getting talked about more now. My choice to wear or not wear makeup is not dependent upon your approval. Your satisfaction is not important, nor is your opinion necessary here. You and your opinion can go play in traffic too. I am big, bold, and beautiful, but I will not be your fetish. I know Drake fantasized the idea of BBW's, but let that be where it is. undercover lover you will not throw these curves into a closet i would not be your two three or four a.m secret i would not be the girl you walk by when you with your homies no you go love these pounds publicly so tell us about this because you're essentially calling out a certain level of hypocrisy here when it comes to this growing glamorization and desire for certain body types and curvier women, and yet a lack of full commitment to that desire. And that was definitely the intention was like, listen, I'm here. I am me. What you're not going to do is use me and who I am to feed your your need for this fetish Mm -hmm. because it's trendy right now. Uh, They call them big fine on Twitter, big (laughs) fine women, um, curvier women, BBWs, uh, whatever it might be, whatever, you know, characteristic or trend it is. I just want I'm telling you from the jump, this is what you're not going to do. You're not going to police my body. You're not going to use me as a fetish Mm -hmm. um, without accepting who I am as a whole, without taking in the whole idea of who I am. I am a person. We are people, you know, um, we're not just this this fantasy. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really what I wanted to call out with the piece was just I'm not going to accept that. And it's hard because, once again, a lot of things in society fuel these ideas. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Drake um, saying that line and me just thinking, oh, this is cool until I realized that it wasn't really a compliment. Yeah. It was him fantasizing and giving people this right, quote unquote, mm-hmm. to fetishize women and their body types. How do you think the beauty industry can celebrate individuals more than reinforce stereotypes? I think a lot of that just comes down to representation, Mm -hmm. representation of different types of people. So for a long time, you might have just only saw one type of person in these ads, one type of person in commercials, Mm -hmm. one type of person that they were catering to. And so that makes it hard to celebrate the whole wide spectrum of beauty that that is beauty, that is women, that is us. You know, human beings are all across the spectrum. Yeah. So you're branching out and growing as an artist. And one of the things that you've been doing is having a dialogue about popular culture, but you're also sort of using some of the methods of popular culture. You've been incorporating some musical elements, reaching out through social media. Do you think that by engaging with popular culture, you're better able to talk about it? 
Um, I definitely think you are. I think that there has to be a voice. There has to be some type of voice of resistance in all this. And I think if you're not putting yourself out there as an as an artist to to be that voice, then it's easy for us to get swallowed up and lost in pop culture. Um, so as an artist, it's always my goal. And as you said, in my work, you see a lot of this. It's always my goal to give that voice. And I think it's so important when people who are in pop culture and who are mainstream, who have these platforms to lend their voice and to encourage the individuality of people. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you've found really hard about what you do? One thing I find really hard is, as an artist, you're always, it's like, it, it requires a level of vulnerability. Yeah. And so there's always this little voice, um, how do you spin this in your artistry into something positive so that you're speaking this life? So just trying to like use my artistry to do that. And it's a constant battle for, for myself, mm-hmm. but I know that when it's presented in the right way, it's liberating for other women or other people in general, not just women. Because when I'm saying this stuff, I want the men to listen mm-hmm. to. I want them to know this is not just a conversation for women. I want you to learn. I want you to act. And so. especially something like vulnerability. I know that that is something that is can be, especially because of our culture, very difficult and hard for men. For sure. Do you think that to express yourself, whether it be verbally, spiritually, or physically with your own style and beauty, do you think that requires a little bit of vulnerability? I think it always does. I think that vulnerability is it's a, a key player in life. It doesn't matter like what you're doing. It's always going to require a, a little bit of vulnerability, and I think that's what makes people genuine. I think that's what makes people authentic is just that little bit of vulnerability that allows people to connect with you and to pe- for people to see who you really are. How do you think the beauty industry can be more receptive to that need for vulnerability? I think it all boils down to having an open mind um, to allow people to show that vulnerability. A lot of people frown on vulnerability. So that's why we see these celebrities, we see these artists, whatever. We don't see their behind the scene life. We only see the glorification that is the good things, quote unquote. But I think that allowing people a space to just be human, to just be vulnerable, would allow the beauty industry to go a long way because then people will be more comfortable in who they are and expressing who they are and then showing the world who they are. And that trickles down. Yeah. It's interesting you brought up the idea that we only see one aspect of celebrities and who they are. We only see one side. Do you think that social media has enabled that kind of veneer for all of us? Do we only show a certain part of ourselves or do you think people are more open because of social media? So I'm kind of like 50-50 split with that. Um, on one hand, you have these people who now that they have that social media is so big that they only want to present this one type of self that they are. Mm-hmm. Um which doesn't leave room for vulnerability. We don't get to see the behind the scenes. Even mm-hmm. with social media, a lot of times that's polished and written out like this is how we want to present. On the other hand, the use of social media has allowed other artists to be more vulnerable and be more of who they are. So we see these artists who are battling with mental illness. We see these artists who are battling with beauty, the beauty standards. We see these artists who are battling with all these things and them them tweeting or them making Facebook posts or whatever it may be allows us to see that they go through the same things that we do. Is that difficult as an artist because you, to a certain extent, almost need to create a persona? Is it difficult to balance... So for me, I think in my artistry, I am this vulnerable person who is trying to give this voice. It's like I get this whole view of who Coco Flo is Mm -hmm. and who Jasmine is and how they intertwine. And it turns out this image of who I am 
even in like showing all these insecurities, all these vulnerabilities. Um, and so I've been actively trying to work on like making sure that you understand all these things that I am addressing are things that I go through. Regardless of how it's packaged, I want you to know that this is me, this is my soul, this is my truth. Do you think that your aesthetic as an artist and your style in your content has developed hand in hand? Definitely. I think that, like, as I said earlier, as you grow as an individual, um, as you learn your writing style and your aesthetic, as you learn how you perform, as you learn what works for you, you also grow as an individual. You also grow in your personal style. You also grow in the way that you interact with mm -hmm. people on a, on a large scale. So it's all intertwined. I know that when I am in uh, poetry mode, I want my personal style to reflect the things that I say. So a lot of my slams and stuff, you'll see me with crop tops on. You'll see me with like form-fitting dresses. Mm -hmm. You'll see me um, with big hair or short hair. I'll change it all the mm -hmm. time just to continuously be like fighting these stereotypes or these ideals and showing like, hey, you know, yesterday it was 22 inches. Today it's short. Like <laughs> I can do that and you can do that and it doesn't matter be who yeah. you are. If that's what you like, that's what you like. I'm a bigger girl. I'm going to wear crop tops yeah. because I like crop tops and I should be allowed to wear what I want. Yeah. Like, so when I'm in Coco Flow mode, I'm always just trying to make sure that I'm not only saying these things, but I'm actively representing them mm -hmm. and even how I dress. So it's like you feel like you physically represent what you make in your art. Right, right. So how did you develop your taste in clothes and your your aesthetic, essentially. How did you find your way? As a kid, I loved being outside. I was a tomboy. Yeah. But my mom would force me to wear these dresses because <laughs> we were Pentecostal. You yeah. got to wear your dresses. And <laughs> so uh, she would force me to wear these dresses, and I would hate those dresses. And then, like, as I was growing up, I was, like, always outside playing football and, like, with the boys. Mm -hmm. So it was usually, like, jeans and stuff that I didn't mind to get dirty. Yeah. Because um, I knew I was going to get dirty. And so I would wear, like, those types of things. And then right before I left for college, I kind of had this shift. And so I kind of just, like, I found the things that I really liked. And I always told myself that you're going to wear whatever you want to wear. Like, don't let anybody put any boundaries on on who you are and what you wear mm -hmm. um, because there's this thing where they're like just because they make it in your size doesn't mean you should wear it uh, yeah. like type idea and I was like well they made it in my size so I'm <laughs> going to wear it like it was it was kind of like a rebellion in mm -hmm. a sense like you're saying I can't wear this because of this but I'm going to show you how I'm going to redefine this same idea and wear it in mm -hmm. a way that like complements my body type and who I am so that's kind of been the journey from you know this tomboy to this actively trying to be this girly girl and find my style in that, arriving at my style now where I just do whatever I want. Like, if it feels right to me, then I'm going to do it. I'm not going to pay attention to what you say. Yeah. I can and cannot do. And I'm going to make you rethink that idea simply by showing you, like, this is the way you can wear mm -hmm. it. When do you feel the most beautiful? When do you feel like, yes, this is me right now? Ah, it's crazy because I feel the most beautiful when I don't have anything. So I recently like yeah. cut off all my hair mm -hmm. to like this whole journey of growth. I told myself, when you're cutting your hair, this is your chance to actively engage along with this new look of beauty. Also engage in who you are and like confront issues that you've never confronted. So it's kind of like a, a hand in hand. Um, so having having my hair cut, very little hair, um, without my weave. <laughs> Without any makeup, I really feel the most beautiful. Um, last year on my birthday, I didn't wear any makeup. I didn't do, like, I didn't do anything. And I had no makeup on, and I took a picture. And, like, you would never believe how receptive so many people were yeah. to that picture. And that's one of the moments where I felt the most beautiful, when I was just my authentic self without dressing the canvas up in any way. Mm -hmm. So what is your advice for anyone out there who is kind of, 
trying to best express themselves through their own personal style, finding their voice, and also understanding where they fit in the world. Um, My advice for those people is just to be you. Be your authentic self. There is a place for you. If there wasn't, you wouldn't be here. There's a place for you in this world. And I just, I believe that no guidelines, no Mm -hmm. standards. Like, if you want red hair, do red hair. Like, (laughs) what? Just do you. Like, do you. That's it. That's the advice. Do you. (laughs) What do you think your advice would be to someone who's having trouble connecting to themselves in all the clutter of the world and maybe without as much insight or reflectiveness. So I think that it's really important in order to actively combat all that comes against you with society standards, you have to really understand who you are as a person, Mm -hmm. at least a little bit. So um, once again, I think taking that time to like be to yourself, to meditate and to figure out the things that you like, and then asking yourself that question of why I'm doing this or why I want to do this. Um, The moment of epiphany for me was Mm -hmm. just whenever I realized that people were going to talk about you regardless. People were going to have something to say whether you follow the beauty trends or if you don't, whether you create your own lane, whatever it is, people are going to talk. And I think a lot of the issues people have with like confidence and owning who they are is what is the world going to think about me? What are the people around me going to say if I follow this trend, if I don't follow this trend or whatever it may be? So just realizing that regardless of what you do, people are going to say what they're going to say and you just have to be happy with your own decision at the end of the day. So you think it's essential for us all to take at least a little time to be alone in a quiet space, to actually look inward and look from a distance? I definitely think that's important. And I feel like once you hit that that mark, you're no longer afraid to be vulnerable in a Mm -hmm. sense. Because I feel like there's even like vulnerabilities to your fashion, the things that you decide to do like on a physical level with beauty. um, I think those all boil down to a vulnerability in a sense. What has your experience been with other kinds of pressures outside of the artistic realm. You are also a highly educated young professional and you're working in corporate America. Do you ever find that there are certain roles you have to play in that setting to maintain your professional legitimacy? So I think my professional setting is like the hardest spot in my life for me to like Mm -hmm. really be me just because there are all these ideologies and stereotypes and all these things um, about women and and me. I sit intersectionally between black and woman. Mm -hmm. So even down to like my hair, that's the biggest thing. I'm always like, how do I wear my hair in an interview? Do I wear my afro? Do I wear my like twists? Do I like should I put in straight weave so that I, uh, you know that European standard it's all it's always been like that um and so for me in my corporate setting now I've really found the way to like be whoever I am um I just actually wrote a piece um Mm -hmm. a letter to my 23 year old self after graduating into corporate America and it just talks about these ideas of like what I thought corporate America would be like and then what happened once I got there um and So um, in that piece, I talk about having to explain like weaves and afros Mm -hmm. and and changing my hair constantly and how stuff happens overnight. And one of the lines is um, wear your hair exactly how you like, whether that's straight, short, kinky or 22 inches. And you ain't got to explain how it happened overnight. (laughs) You don't have to explain it. Just be you and do you. I've really kind of found my lane. Thank you so much for talking with us. Before we go, though, I want to ask you, what do you see for the coming year? What are you going to be working on? Um, I'm looking to produce another EP. This EP would specifically explore um, basically beauty standards. Um, I want to take all my pieces that I've had over time that deal with beauty and like put them into a a EP. So that's that's like the way I'm leaning for for 2018. So I'm kind of like trying to figure out which direction I really want to go. But 2018 is going to be my year. Oh, yeah.
Every year. <laughs> Every year. I said that in 2017. <laughs> and it literally has, like, yeah. been my year. I put it out there and... Well, whatever it is, we'll be watching. Yes. You are beautiful. You don't need foundation and concealer to make up what you think you're lacking, because without it, I see the chocolate diamond you are. No need to hide in the shadow of the shades of shadow you wear that cover the natural shine that your eyes give. No need to contour and control the immaculately crafted creation God has made you. Because without it, you're a model off the page, boo. And others will try to put down and degrade you. But that's because they are not you. Girl, you're perfectly beautiful. Beyond beautiful, so brilliantly beautiful, girl. Your ebony is everything. And I love your brown skin. So now that we've learned a little bit about the personal side of beauty, it's time to take a look at the bigger picture of how things like fashion and the beauty industry are reflected in society and the world around us. Our next guest is Professor Stephanie Sadarafai. She's a sociocultural anthropologist and the co-director of the University of Cincinnati's Critical Visions program which she helped to design to create more of a crossover between sociology studies and visual media. So tell us a little bit about what drew you to this and what interests you about this particular part of our culture. Thank you so much for letting me be here. I'm really excited Thanks to talk about this stuff. with us. Sure. <laughs> I grew up in a makeup house. Makeup was something that was a ritual where I grew up, and so I was always interested in beauty and fashion. Mm -hmm. When I was an undergraduate student, I didn't really imagine that figuring into my coursework, but I was interested in issues of race. And so yeah. being able to bring race and beauty and fashion together when I went to graduate school was a really lucky opportunity. Oh, so where did you initially start with your studies? And how did you end up bringing those issues that you were interested in together? While I was at Berkeley, I was researching race and nation in hybrid music forms mm -hmm. in the Caribbean. And so issues that I was thinking about were, what are the mechanisms by which something can be authentically national? Is it just by issues of production? Is it by issues of consumption? Is it by issues of iconic resemblance? And as a mixed race person growing up in the South, I think yeah. this was kind of underlying and guiding my interest. What does it mean to be authentically one thing or the other and feeling betwixt and between? So that was my research as an undergraduate student, but I was also exposed to other scholars working on other things. Mm -hmm. And so beauty was always in the back of my mind. But being trained as an anthropologist, it was also issued as not serious. So what made you see it as a serious topic? Was beauty something that you always kind of thought about? I was always drawn to fashion images mm -hmm. growing up. I remember my adolescent teen bedroom was covered with pasted images of models and fashion, and it just really gave me a window to the outside of where I grew up in Tennessee. And so I was always interested in that. And I think in the South, everybody wears makeup for the most part. Yeah. And so I was participating in that, but doing it my own way. 
And so it was a way, even when I was going through my rebellious teen years of mm-hmm. like, it was the 90s, it was grunge. <laughs> my mom was really oh, not were, into it. Into I, grunge? Very much yeah, so. Um, there we go. And even though that caused a rift between me and my mom, I mm-hmm. think that was one of the points in our relationship where we were most estranged, even though we're very close. But that was just kind of this fundamental time when my mom was like, I do not understand <laughs> you <laughs> and I do not validate your aesthetic choices. So beauty and fashion at that point and the way that I styled myself, like many teenagers, was a way for me to articulate a particular kind of identity mm-hmm. and use that as a distancing tool. At the same time, it was enabled by many of the same tools that I had gotten from my mother and from my sister. And so I saw the ways in which a lot of these beauty rituals that we had in my house that I think are pretty common were not just about making oneself up for the male gaze or for mm-hmm. other men, but really about bonding with other women and thinking about yourself and how malleable that is. One of the other things that I really liked about makeup was it didn't matter what your body size was. It was something that you could participate in regardless of if a company had clothing in your size. And so there are still issues with beauty culture, obviously, but this made it somewhat more democratic. And even when you look at what kinds of models and what kind of barriers are being broken Within fashion, a lot of times those non what they call straight size models or mm-hmm. typical typical size models that are still what size two size zero, mm-hmm. those opportunities are ushered in through beauty. Those complications of seeing an intersectional position of race, gender, sexuality, identity, that it's all happening through fashion and through beauty, and that it was a pretty marginalized dimension of the academy. People really weren't talking about it mm-hmm. or theorizing it made me drawn to it. I think too often a critique of beauty culture or the fashion industry is that it's racist and misogynistic, Mm -hmm. and that's where it stops. I want to go on the record to say, of course, it is racist, it is misogynistic, (laughs) and yet there are so many people involved in it, both on the production side and on the consumption side, that are doing other things with it so that it matters what they're doing with it. So precisely because it means so much to so many people, we should want to understand it more. How do you think academics adapt their studies to account for changes in the beauty and fashion industry? Like, for example, developments in social media like Instagram and all the stuff you see there. I think we need to pay attention to what people are actually doing with beauty at the local level. What does it mean to follow, which I do, uh, lots of these Instagram stories? What is that performance about? Who's watching these videos, appreciating not just the artistry, but how this platform has been broadened and widened Mm -hmm. and for all different kinds of people to be brought into it. This is allowing people to do shade tests on their arm. The main makeup manufacturers aren't presenting these images in their advertisements or their own social media. So it's not just empowering a consumer, but having a conversation about beauty, about race and expanding that. Yeah, I'd like to ask you more about that expansion of conversation between images and media and social study. So you co-founded a program at UC which bridges the study of images and art and sociological analysis, which is pretty unique. Why did you think that that was an important crossover to create? And do you think that this is a kind of intersection that is growing as a trend in academia? Absolutely. And I think that this is a skill set that college students need. 
that it's something that the contemporary workforce needs to be engaged with. Yeah, so we started Critical Visions. Um, I, I co-founded this program with Jordan Tate, who's mm-hmm. a professor of fine art at UC in 2011. Um, and it was actually during our first year of our tenure track appointment. So we were yeah. um, <laughs> nice, <laughs> new on the scene. And we were just like, we want to see this. Um, we want to have more opportunities for our students to take classes together and for us to have these conversations. It's been an incredible experience to do this. And mm-hmm. I think it speaks back to these larger issues, not just in terms of personal beauty, but making academic work that is inviting and nice to look at, Yeah, which surprisingly, uh, people in the academy are very, very resistant really? to. Really? How, yes. how so? And it offends me. <laughs> it offends me deeply <laughs> you take to this see personal. these busted PowerPoints or to see publications oh, with no care to the typography or to the images mm-hmm. or to just say that this is how it's been done and there aren't any other possibilities. Hmm. So with Critical Vision, students receive training in um, anthropology, uh, critical theory, art media design practice, and then the culminating experience is this capstone critical visions, which we've been so fortunate to have funding from UC Forward um, to publish and distribute. Each time we teach this class, there's a theme. We started out with space, then the future, then um, color. Um, and this uh, spring semester of 2018, we'll actually be doing Surface, oh. which Surface speaks to a lot of these issues that we're talking about, about beauty, um, thinking about what gets to be called just a surface issue, mm-hmm. um, things that come to the surface. Mm-hmm. What happens if we stay on the surface and just take the surface seriously mm-hmm. on its own terms? So we're really excited about that. Um, but having been so lucky to be kind of sheltered within this CVSN critical visions bubble, when I go to publish my, you know, regular straight articles, um, and I see the layouts, I just want to cry. <laughs> it's just like, but it could be better and you can make more informed choices. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good that you're able to integrate the practice into the study of aesthetics that you're able to speak the language of aesthetics and be sensitive to it. Do you think there's any other work being done in our community that you find really exciting or innovative in this area? Um, I definitely think that there are a number of scholars at UC doing really exciting work, whether it's around beauty or design and anthropology and bringing these these things together. Um, so I'm thinking about Aaron Casanova's work on um, not just beauty, but Men in Middle Class Dress, hmm. a book that just came out maybe a couple of years ago. She's in sociology. I'm thinking about all of the people in design and fine art that yeah. are doing really interesting and engaged work. Um, we're actually organizing a design anthropology symposium, and it's going to be a whole week of design and anthropology the last week of March Ooh. in 2018. And we're theming that around uh, social innovation and social justice. And oh. so we're inviting this incredible group of women, queer people, people of color. Yeah. We're being very deliberate in how we're constructing this conversation um, to help people, faculty at UC and students at UC, figure out how it is we can um, kind of own this part of the conversation mm-hmm. and articulate something that is uniquely UC. Yeah. Um, and so there's going to be um, panels and conversations and workshops all open to the public on health and wellness, on the environment and sustainability, and on community engagement and social justice. I think that one of the things that I really appreciate about UC and really like about UC that's been different than other institutions that I've been at, and which helps explain why we were able to start Critical Visions in our Mm -hmm. first year, is that if you have a good idea, 
you can quickly rally people and resources to make it happen. And I think we need to be leveraging that more to mm -hmm. make more things happen. How do you think that things like social justice and beauty intersect? What sort of relationship do you think they have? Do, is there a feedback loop of mm -hmm. any kind? Given beauty's position within our society, that it's um, something that people are striving for, it's mm -hmm. something that is socially valued, I think putting it within a social justice frame can help us better understand what people's various stakes are in mm -hmm. participating and pursuing beauty. And so that's one element of it, right? So it's a social good. How, how do people want to get access to it? How can we facilitate their access to it? And how can we deconstruct um, these simplistic critiques of it mm -hmm. by paying attention to what people's different stakes in it? On the other hand, I think aesthetics and beauty more broadly can be a very powerful vehicle through which to convey social justice mm. messages and a medium even for thinking about and rethinking what does collaboration look like. So fashion has a clear impact that can be seen in our daily lives, and we're talking about it. But I'm curious if you've ever found the reverse to be true. Do you think that our social situations and daily lives are ever visually reflected in the industry? Yes and no. On the one hand, um, fashion is in this weird place where it wants to be seen as art and not commerce. Mm -hmm. So any challenges to the lack of ethnic representation, the lack of body size representation, the lack of trans representation, all of these political complaints towards the fashion mm -hmm. industry are typically rebuffed oh. as, but it's art. And oh, it's, it's an artistic it's decision. A, it's an artistic That's decision. That's very interesting. At the same time oh. that there are massive yeah. commercial interests involved, right? So we have that element where mm -hmm. not all, but many designers and many casting directors, like it's kind of like the blame game. Yeah. So if we have these all white lineups, which we've had for years, it's mm -hmm. gotten a little bit better. It goes back and forth. And the blame is laid at the foot of a casting director. They will say somewhat rightfully so, well, I just bring the models to the designer. They make mm -hmm. the decision. I'm not the arbiter. I'm a middleman. Uh-huh. The designer will then say, oh, right, okay, it's my artistic <laughs> choice. If you bring it to the modeling agent saying, why aren't there more options? Uh, they'll say the market doesn't support it. So I think that we have to pay really close attention to when the market becomes the explanation and when the market becomes not the point. And so we also see this in the naturalization of particular bodies. Looking at the modeling industry, looking at fashion, models and fashion are supposed to be exclusionary. They're supposed mm -hmm. to be discriminatory. If everybody could be a model, it wouldn't be special. That's mm -hmm. how the thinking goes. And yet we know that people that are consuming fashion, that are participating in this, don't all look like models. In yeah. fact, most of them don't. And so there is this element of fantasy. There's this element of projection. And we're implicated in that, yeah. right? Wanting to have fancy, wanting yeah. wanting to have fancy things, wanting to put on airs to get that feeling. But ideally, right? you would still be able to see yourself. Yes. At least someone you could project yes. yourself onto. Have you ever had big style icons in your life? Any celebrities or just people in your life, like uh, people you knew, who really inspired you or you thought were really cool? Mm -hmm. um, I think it always comes back to hair for me. Really? Yeah. So, again, being a child of the 90s or an adolescent of the 90s, rather, mm -hmm. um, 
hair straightening was always really big. Um, And so flat ironing, um, just that really like severe straight hair look. Um, And I never did it. Really? And I was very resistant to it. I always... You were rebellious. I always embraced my curls and I was always about that look. Mm -hmm. And so I think in that context... Um, and both of my parents, my mom's hair is kind of wavy, but she always straightened it. My sister's hair is kind of wavy and light, lighter brown. Mm-hmm. She always straightened it. And my dad, you know, has dad hair. So it wasn't <laughs> like, it wasn't like a lot to play with. He didn't have oh, long okay. so hair. He didn't so he didn't have much of it. He wasn't, yeah, he wasn't, okay. he wasn't a model for All right. it. <laughs> he didn't have long flowing locks. Right. Um, and so my curls, I think that was always something that I was, wanting to see reflected. Um, and so, yeah, my earliest memories of like models that I collected images of were like Shalom Harlow. I was into it. Mm. Um, Maria Carlo Boscano, super into that. Um, and then later in thinking about like style inspirations or beauty inspirations, yeah, it's like Tracy Ellis Ross. What's a bold choice in your book? Like what is, like, what is the boldest thing you've worn? Oh, the boldest thing I've yeah. worn. My boldest choices were probably repurposing items of clothing to be worn in other ways. Looking back, like it made sense then, but I remember in college, I think I just like ran around campus in a unitard. Like I had like a Patagonia over it, but just like I was like unitard and ready to go. Yeah. That's awesome. But unitards are awesome. Like more people should wear them. They're very functional. You can like put two on and like wear one part down. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm here for the unitard. Who is an influential woman in your life? Um, there are so many. Yeah, um, I know. It's hard. My mom is definitely very influential. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially on this topic and, and ways of thinking about thinking about beauty. But beyond my mother and beyond mm-hmm. my immediate family, um, I think about my advisor. She's been a real kind of beacon of light and... Um, really great example of a bad bitch for me to kind of model model myself after. She has been unflagging in her support of me. She's been an excellent role model, very creative. Is she still teaching? She is still teaching. Uh-huh. It's just nice to have a kind of intellectual relationship. Um, a mentor. And yeah, and a yeah. strong female role model um, for how to conduct myself within the academy. Um, she's the kind of person that refuses to entertain bullshit in all aspects of her life. And so um, when confronted with these issues, I just think about her and things that she's been through and say, no, you know, these are constant uh, sources of inspiration and reassurance and things that I give to both my male and my female students about this is how to assert yourself. This is how not to take crap from people Mm -hmm. And and that it's not going to negatively impact you, right? If you have this yeah. network, do you think that there are things like that uh, that we can do in our lives as you know, as women, but just as people, mm-hmm. to better support each other, both with our perceptions of beauty and identity, but also just as people? I think having that network and establishing, um, you know, authentic connections with other people across different lines mm-hmm. is definitely one step so that you can amplify those voices and make sure they're, that those things are being considered, those different perspectives. Another thing, though, is just basic curiosity, uh-huh. right? So like we've been talking about with beauty, that it's it's not just this one thing. I think being curious, especially about people's experiences, 
will go a long way towards fostering those connections mm-hmm. and making things better for everybody. And speaking of that, do you have any reading recommendations or articles or even sites that you think are interesting? Um, so one of the books that I love teaching in my forms of seeing class is um, a book by Rosemary Garland Thompson called Staring, Staring. How We Look. Um, and it's actually through the lens of art and disability studies. But instead of admonishing one another to not stare, mm-hmm. she reframes the staring interaction or the staring encounter, not from the perspective of the person doing the staring or gawking, but from the person that's being stared at. Mm-hmm. And so she, you know, it's a great introduction to a lot of practice-based social theory that informs my work, um, but also getting us to think about what it means to look at one another and that face-to-face interaction that can really engender lots of empathy, lots of connection. And from my experience, um, talking to students after they take the course, that's something that they really hang on to. So this last question is big mm-hmm. and subjective, but it is the theme of our podcast and you have a lot of insight into this. So I would like to ask you, what is beauty? What is beauty? What is beauty? So I'm going to lean on other scholars who've written on this Mm -hmm. before um, that I think give a good encapsulation of how I've come to approach beauty and how I've come to think about it. Um, So here I'm thinking specifically of Maxine Leeds Craig and Anne Chang, where they take the position that beauty is really about the self and other, right? Mm -hmm. So we think a lot of a lot about individual expressions of beauty as being this expression of something that's interior coming out, right? Mm-hmm. Giving a face to it, giving um, an outward expression to it. But those outward expressions don't mean anything without a connection to yeah. others, right? And so beauty for me is a relationship. Beauty oh. is a relation, right? It's a relation between ourselves and who we want to be. It's our relationship between ourselves and one another. Um, it can be a contentious relationship. Yeah. It can be a horizontal relationship. It can be all different kinds of relations. But I think ultimately beauty is a relation. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thanks so much again to Professor Sadarafai for speaking with us. If you want to see some of the work that she does at the Critical Visions program at UC, you can check out past issues of their publication at cvsn.tumblr.com. We'll be back with more right after this. This episode of What is a Woman is sponsored by Ombre Gallery. Ombre Gallery carries handmade contemporary art jewelry from around the world. Adorn yourself or your loved ones with something beautiful and support a woman-owned business right here in Cincinnati. Ombre Gallery is located at 4011A Alston Street in Oakley or online at ombregallery.com.
society, identity, image. So far this episode, we've been thinking really, really big. But what is it like to actually work in the beauty world? And who's to say that there aren't deep, meaningful, and extraordinarily fun discussions to be had about the entrepreneurs and artists who keep it going? Well, wrapping things up today, we're speaking with Stephanie Carroll, a makeup artist, businesswoman, and educator. She shares the story of her journey, her advice to those starting out in the industry, and even some of her favorite beauty trends. So tell us a little bit about your work and what drew you to it. Yeah, so um, I have been a makeup artist and I've been in the industry for about 15 years. It's been really fun. It's been a great journey. I started off kind of playing with my sister's hair and makeup Mm -hmm. and just kind of falling in love with it. My babysitter would come over and I would just braid her hair the whole time she was there. So I would play with her hair and makeup and just do stuff like that. And then I started really taking it seriously as I got older. Mm And then I decided to make it a career Mm -hmm. um, and go to school and get the education for it and become legit. (laughs) And um, after cosmetology, I realized there wasn't much education in makeup, especially locally. Um, That was a big thing for me. And I had to travel to get it. I came back and I realized that I really wanted to teach. And I fell in love with teaching. Yeah, I went to Vegas. I went to Miami. I worked with some renowned artists, just amazing artists that are have millions of followers and millions Mm -hmm. of, you know, students. And I just really got inspired. And so when I came back, I decided to open up a makeup academy. Mm -hmm. And I launched, um, right now I have 10 courses. And so they're kind of like workshop style. But um, a lot of artists take my classes, a lot of licensed cosmetologists take them, and then also everyday women. And so I love to teach. I love to uh, do makeup and hair and, um, yeah. And then I fell in love. I also do services. I have a spa, a salon in uh, Montgomery. Mm -hmm. So real close to the the Kenwood Mall out there. Yeah. And I actually do a lot of services and I do a lot of lashes. I fell in love with lashes. And then I also launched my own lash line this year. So Wow. Yeah. So (laughs) So you do a little bit of everything. Yeah. A little bit of everything, but really focusing on teaching and, you know, makeup industry. You mentioned that, you know, some of the people you worked with had a lot of followers. Do you think that social media has really changed the crossovers between teaching and practice in cosmetics and the beauty industry? I do think social media has played a huge role in the beauty industry just because we see it more now. We see a lot of makeup. If you scroll through Instagram, you're Mm -hmm. bound to see a million looks. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But especially geared towards women, you know, it's always targeted. And there's a lot on YouTube as well. But I feel like YouTube and Instagram are kind of hand in hand now. Yeah, People will watch tutorials just as much on Instagram now as they would on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely you can definitely get inspired, but you can also get you can you can think a lot about yourself as you're scrolling, comparing, you know, a lot of women compare themselves to what they see because it's not always exactly Uh, real. What what exactly (laughs) do you mean by that? Like, and uh, yeah. What do you well, mean I think, um, you know, a lot of people, for example, I would have an, a client that would come mm-hmm. to me and, and show me a picture from Instagram and say, I want to look like this. Oh, yeah. And I would have to explain to them, like, a lot of that is Photoshopped. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of that is beautiful when their eyes are closed but what do their eyes look like when they're open and mm. let's let's I want to create something custom for you so let's let's take this as inspiration but I I do a lot of that I, I take it for inspiration but then I create something that works for them and their features mm. and they always love that better so. yeah 
What about you? How do you feel like you express yourself? I think I express myself um, with beauty. I mean, I love makeup and hair, but a lot of people will look at me and think that that's what I look like every day, and mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> I have a little baby at home, so beauty can be also with a bun in my hair, like my hair up in mm-hmm. a bun and just looking pretty rough and pretty comfortable. But as long as you're finding that beauty in yourself, I think to me that's what that is. Since you just brought it up, I want to congratulate you on yet another extremely powerful role that is developing in your life. Your son was born about a year ago now. Congratulations on being a new mom. Thank you. Thank you. So now you are also a mother in addition to all of these other things you are doing. Mm -hmm. How has that played into all these other things? Has it impacted any of it in any way? Oh, absolutely. Has it just made it harder? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wouldn't say harder because I love a good challenge. I would say Uh it's definitely more challenging to be a new mom um, and juggling, you know, being a wife and and being a mother and a business owner. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely a major change for me. Um, But I'm learning the balance. It's all about balance. It's all about making the most of your time. It's very important for me what I've learned this year to really find time for myself and to really focus on taking care of myself too. Do you think that's part of what we need for beauty is the self-care. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many women that sit in my chair and they'll, you know, it's kind of like a counseling session. Anytime yeah, someone sits I was going to ask they just, you about that. Yeah, they immediately open up. And um, that's one of the reasons why I do what I do, because I want to not only make them feel like look good and feel good, but just really empower them and encourage them too. And so I do talk about self-care and a, lo- I, a lot of services I do. I have a woman who drives an hour to me every time for eyelashes, but she will come to me and say, this is the one thing that I do for myself. And this, and she has a couple kids and, you know, she's very busy. And she said, this is my release and this is my getaway. When you enter something like motherhood and there's a whole other person in your life, does that change the way you feel about beauty or about yourself? Yeah, I think I felt beautiful that I could create something that I could I really felt so empowered just to be able to create this life and I felt like a warrior having (laughs) and once I saw him and just as I grew and as he's grown this past year it's been I mean I can't tell you how many times I've broken down and just cried just holding him just to see his face and just be like oh my gosh like I'm your mother I created you you were Mm -hmm. nothing that made me feel beautiful but on the flip side you know, looking in the mirror, I kind of felt like a deflated balloon. I felt mm. so beautiful when I was pregnant. And um, women are always coming, oh, you look so beautiful, and always talking about the baby. But after You're you glowing. have the baby, you lose your glow. I've lost hair. I've lost, oh. um, you know, elasticity in my skin. It's just, you just, there you go through some changes. Um, and so body image has been a huge thing this year. One day you're feeling good and one day you're feeling fluffy and it's just, you have fluffy? to, yeah. <laughs> you have to embrace it. You know, the scars and the, yeah. the stretch marks and you have to embrace that. It's just really embracing what you have. I've learned that you have to speak life to yourself. Yeah. And you do also have that unique perspective as not only a new mom, but also as an expert in beauty and a teacher and a female entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. What are some challenges that you think we face when it comes to that step of starting your own business? I think the biggest challenge, if I could tell myself years ago 
to to get over something. <laughs> it yeah. Would be fear. Yeah. It would be fear. And I think that works for every woman, especially I hear that with a lot of artists and they mm-hmm. take my class and I mentor them. So not only do I teach their class um, and they learn a new skill for their business and to make a living and but then they continue to go out into the field and, and start practicing that and I continue to mentor them. So I'm always hearing feedback of how they're feeling, what they're doing, what they're working on. And one thing that I hear common throughout almost every entrepreneur is that it's fear. Yeah. It's self-doubt. That hesitation. It's, it's hesitation. It's what if I fail or what if I this or what if I that or um, what what are people going to think? And mm-hmm. and honestly, you have to shut that off. Again, it's about that mindset and you have to really just pay attention to your right now moment. Where are mm-hmm. you right now? Don't think about the future. Don't worry about that. Just focus on what you can do to get that goal it's, it can be scary. Yeah, it, it can, can really open scary. up a wormhole in your mind. And it's funny because it also makes me think of how sometimes the conversations that I find myself having with my own head about stepping out in terms of beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, what if I wear this or I wear that or I do this? Mm-hmm. So fear applies to so many areas of our lives. Mm-hmm. What have you done to overcome fear in your life? I just took off the limits, the limits of my mind. I just said, I'm just going to do it. I've done some crazy things. Like what? (laughs) Oh, man. One time I bought a plane ticket Mm -hmm. to this event that I wanted to go to so bad. Mm -hmm. And What was it? It was a makeup class. And I was in a very low place in my life. And I had just lost my job. Mm. Um, the, The company, my dream job that I was working for that hired me ended up shutting down and removing my whole position and I relocated for it and everything and so I was kind of in a in a place you know I had a little bit of time to make some moves Mm -hmm. and I said you know what it's sink or swim yeah and it was perfect time it was it was meant to be because I there was a a class I wanted to go to and I couldn't go to it because I had this job Mm -hmm. and then the job let me go so I and that was that was the kind of transformational point in my life when I did really just go full force in my company. And so I bought this plane ticket. I called up the owner yeah. who was running this class and I said, Listen, <laughs> I really want to come to your class and I said, I just lost my job. You know, I mean the class is very expensive. Yeah. And I'm like, I just lost my job. This happened, this happened, this happened. And she's like, What do you want? Oh I'm like, God. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> no said, pressure. And, and I was in the middle of going through, I had just read this book, um, Success Principles by Jack Canfield. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. And I encourage any entrepreneur to read it. And I was, it was this, the chapter I just read was about asking and being direct. Yeah. Asking for that what you want. That is hard to actually ask, express I never ask your anyone. needs. I ne- yeah. I never ask anyone for help. So when she said that, it clicked in that, that whole message of what I was reading I had to apply it. Yeah. And so I stepped out and I was like, I want to come to your makeup class. <laughs> I'll tell you what I want. And she's want. like, okay. She's oh like, hold on God. a second. She put me on hold. She got back on the phone with me and she said, all right, I have a hotel room for you. Oh you can come. Gosh. You can assist me. Because I told her my yeah. credentials as yeah. well. So she knew who I was and what I did. And she and knew she said, you wanted it. Come on. I- I'll take care of you. She put me in this amazing Whoa. suite in Vegas. <laughs> she um, had just, she just laid it all out for me. And I was in all the classes. I made some great connections. From there, I was training with some of these educators the next year and these big makeup shows. And it, it just, one thing led to another. And it was mm-hmm. a snowball effect. And so 
that was a learning point in my life where I realized that if I don't take risks, why am I living? Yeah. And I tell all of my artists that I said, don't even think about this. Like, take the moment now and stretch yourself. Reach for something further than what you want. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be real. And don't be afraid to ask. Don't yeah. be afraid to, um, you know, ask someone for help. And it's amazing. So now I do that with my students. Too. Yeah, I mean, I don't that's so great. Fly them that's out a great to Vegas story. And put them in a hotel room. Oh, I, but. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's okay to ask at the very least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to take risk. I mean, you really have to take risk. That's the biggest thing I would. It's risky being an entrepreneur, but mm-hmm. you have to get used to taking risks. The, I'm intrigued hearing about this woman that you mentioned who asked you what your needs were. Are there any women who have been particular inspirations in your life? Oh, man. I know. A it's a very question. hard question, though. Yes. And Honestly, I can't name one person in my life right now. If I name one person, it would be a lie because there are so many people. I find inspiration and influence like I'm influenced by just everyday women. But there's also other business women that I look up to. Um, There's my family members. I see, you know, struggles that they've gone through that they've overcome. And but honestly, I really just I don't have one person. I look at a lot of different people and I find something in everyone that can inspire me, if that makes sense. Yeah. So everyone you interact with, Mm -hmm. you get a little bit of inspiration. I do. I do. It keeps me going. I'm really interested in the way you talk about fear. How do you think our relationship with fear influences the way we present ourselves or specific societal pressures relating to beauty? I think women every day have have to deal with the feeling of not being enough. Mm-hmm. and the fear of not being enough. I think fear can hold a lot of women back just because a lot of it is just what other people think because what's being shown in a lot of social media and um, just TV everywhere um, is this perfection yeah. and this perfect body image and this perfect face and this everything's symmetrical. That That's not who that woman even mm-hmm. looks like. And um, so, so it's really, I think a lot of it is what's being thrown in our faces. But I do think that um, once you overcome that fear, it can change your, your day. It can really change oh, yeah. your day. And that goes back to taking time for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so whatever that looks like, whether it is you want to focus on your hair, it doesn't have to be Having makeup. a little piece for you. Doesn't necessarily, I mean, I'm a makeup artist, so of course I'm going to say, do a little makeup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll throw a little lipstick on and, you know, co- you'll conquer the day with a little red lipstick or whatever <laughs> it is. But I do think that... But everyone has their own... Yeah. So finding that one thing that kind of makes you light up a little bit, it mm-hmm. makes you feel really good, um, just incorporating that in your day can really help you overcome that fear. Yeah. So you have great insight into what's going on in beauty. So I'll ask you this. What are your favorite trends in beauty? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Here's your chance. <laughs> so my favorite trend right now. Oh, geez. <laughs> trends that I love right now. I love the glowy look. I love oh. how everybody is really into glowing skin. Um, I think that's beautiful because when you're glowing, you feel good, you feel healthy, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of that starts with skincare. So it's not necessarily a makeup thing, but uh, obviously there's lots of highlighters that you can play yeah. with. So that's a fun trend. So glitter, glam, lashes. Mm-hmm. You know, I love lashes. The sparkles. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, lashes. A, a popping eye is always my favorite trend. Something that makes the eyes pop. I love doing that for my clients because. 
I think eyes are the one thing that they never change since you were born. You have souls. Yes, yes. And lashes are the curtains. (laughs) 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 So, um, no, but I I really love um, making eyes pop. That's one of my favorite Mm -hmm. things to do. One of my favorite. And I wouldn't even call that a trend because it's something that you could do all the time. It's just a beauty go to. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever used a beauty method or trend that you are not so fond of now? Um, yes. Okay. Can we talk about eyebrows? Yes, we can. So when I was younger, I think I deleted all these photos. Oh my goodness. I hope that I did. Sometimes I'll do a throwback and be like, look how how far I've come, guys. No, but these uh, eyebrows did not. Oh man. It was back in tweezing was fun for me when I yeah. learned how to tweeze I loved it and I made my brows really tiny yeah it's always and fun when you first learn you can yes, do it yes but big brows and natural brows are in right now so mm-hmm. all of us small brow girls are struggling so learning how to do my brows obviously has been a great <laughs> but um, you know there's so much you can do you can do serum and things like that mm-hmm. to apply and, and help them grow but if you've tweezed for a majority part of your life and you had a good time doing it, you don't have eyebrows. So thank God for like microblading and things like that that they have now. So that's a good trend mm-hmm. if you want to think about it. But yeah, that's, but yeah, but that's again, the things change. Trends yeah, change. We develop, we try things, we, we grow. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So now for the big one, you know that this podcast is literally asking the question, what is beauty? And we've talked about it for a little while. So what do you think beauty really is? What is beauty? I think beauty is really coming to find yourself and being who you truly are and embracing every piece of you Mm -hmm. inside and outside. So finding that core? Finding that core. And making it happy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's what beauty is. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us, Stephanie. Stephanie Carroll. And you have so much connection within this community. And as we mentioned, so many things going on. Uh, Do you have any recommendations for projects that you're working on or things that you would like people to know about? Absolutely. If you want to stay in touch with me, you can follow me on any of my social media. It's all Stephanie Carroll, S-T-E-F-A-N-I. Carol, like a Christmas Carol. <laughs> and and my website is stephaniecarol.com. So there is a way that you could subscribe to my website. And that's where I send a lot of my beauty tips. Um, I send a lot. I have an online makeup academy. So my classes that I teach in person, mm-hmm. I also teach some online, kind of like a Netflix for makeup. Oh, so like um, you can log in and check out some cool videos. All right. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much. If you were going to be on the cover of like a fashion magazine. The cover of a fashion magazine. The cover of a fashion magazine. And they would give you anything to wear, like any custom made or anything at all. What would you want to wear? Probably a cat suit with some bunny ears. (laughs) A onesie outfit of some sort. (laughs) Like a jumpsuit or like an actual like onesie. If I were on the cover of a magazine, I'd want to be naked. <laughs> yes! <laughs> we're going that route. Okay, that would be, um, it would be my ammo and camo. Ammo and camo? Yeah. <laughs> like camo, cubo, 
camo outfit, mm -hmm. shorts, little top with um, ammo. Nice. Yeah. And it would be like an epic pose. Oh, totally. If you were on a magazine, what would you want to wear? Clothes. Clothes, that's good. <laughs> Well, that's all, folks. Thank you again to our guests, to our sponsors, and to everyone who shared their voice. Learn more about Women of Cincy and our community at womenofcincy.org. I'm Elsie Mort. Thanks for listening, and I hope you're feeling beautiful.